Well, good morning again. And giving the electronic guys a chance to <laughs> get everything straight. So it'll, what a great, um, great day, great Father's Day. And I um, typically don't preach uh, secular holidays. So if you're ever wondering why I don't preach Father's Day messages, that's why, Mother's Day messages. Uh, I just don't preach secular holidays, just so, uh, just so you know. Uh, continue, we're continuing James, though I did, I did uh, speak to Menji this morning and I was telling him, uh, you know, we're going to go through we're gonna, James and he said, oh, we're doing a Father's Day message on suffering this morning. <laughs> I said, no, no, Menji, we're, we're doing James. So. Um, so turn with me in your Bibles to James chapter 5. We've got about three messages left for those that uh, you guys who are tired of being in James. We have three more or... If you wish it was more, then sorry there's not. Um, but it's, it's been a good book so far. and we, We've come to the last section of James. We'll be looking at one verse today. We're looking at verse 12. But from verse 12 onward, we, we enter into the last real section of James. And James offers a, a, a few ideas or a few instructions, rather, on a few topics dealing with our personal lives. Now, James's theme, if you remember, is faith that works, right? More than one time, James has said that he wants you to have an undivided heart or undivided mind. He wants you to be consistent in and out with what you believe and what you do. If you claim the name of Christ, he wants you to live that out in in your daily lives. And so hence, faith that works. A faith that is not dead. A dead faith is just mere belief. Right? We can believe the right things about God. And if you even think about it, we've talked about this before, demons have beautiful, have wonderful theology. They know exactly who Jesus is. They know He died on the cross for the sins of man, not sins of angels. Right? They, understand, they understand knowledge-wise salvation, even though they can't understand it by experience. They have great theology. Right? But they will not submit to Jesus Christ as Lord. And so it's not just believing facts about Jesus. It's about taking that and ingesting those, those, that knowledge and in turn responding to Christ in faith. And faith is always demonstrated in your actions. Right? You, James actually says, and we, we've discussed this before in James chapter 2, you say you have faith, show me your works. Right? And so James ends, ends this section or ends his epistle with basically three different personal instructions. He deals with personal integrity, which we're going to talk about this morning in verse 12. In 13 through 18, he deals with personal prayer, and then he deals with perseverance. And we're going to be dealing with each one of those topics as we finish up the book of James. Well, I remember when I was 10 years old, I I had an issue where I would swear a lot. Now, when you automatically think about swearing and you're going, uh, he, was, he, was, he was cursing, right? using profanity. But no, I was actually swearing. I would, in order to back up the words that, that I was saying, I would say, well, I would, I would say something to somebody and I would say, look, I, I'm telling the truth. Or I would say, look, I, I swear on my mother's grave. Or I swear in a stack of Bibles that I'm telling you the truth. Right? I swear on that tall pine tree. You know, it was something outside of my, myself that I was using to add weight to what I was saying. And I, and I developed that as a habit. But I remember very clearly, and I remember when I was around two years old, I, I was 
my parents were taking me to church, and I remember going to a Sunday school class, and I remember the Sunday school teacher uh, teaching on Matthew 5, where Jesus says, do not swear. Let your yes be your yes, and your no be your no. And I remember that very clearly, because I remember I got, I really got convicted. And the Lord really addressed me, and I felt like He was addressing me personally with that teaching. And what had happened, and what I didn't realize, was that I had been a liar. And that was the real issue. I, would, I had lied so much that when I told people things, they didn't believe me. Or I exaggerated so much that, that people had doubts about what I was saying. And so in order to add some weight to my words, I would swear. I swear on that stack of Bibles I'm telling the truth. The issue indirectly was the swearing, but the real issue was the truthfulness of my heart, the truthfulness of my words. And the Lord convicted me, and I repented, and I, I remember changing my speech at that point. Well, what Jesus is talking about in Matthew chapter 5 is the same thing that James is talking about here in James chapter 5, verse 12. Because he's talking about swearing. And as we, we get into this, swearing is the issue that James is addressing. But the underlying heart issue is the truthfulness, the total truthfulness of you, what you say and what you do, being consistent in who God has called you to be, a life of personal integrity. And so we know we live in a world full of lies, right? It's easy to see around us. We see it each and every day. In fact, we have a, a new term that's been coined over the last, I don't know how many years, four or five years, fake news, right? Ten years ago, nobody would have said fake news, right? We might have understood what that was, but that term didn't exist, right? We, have, we, we, we see lies all around us. Paul actually says when describing all unbelievers in the world, he says, Romans 3, 13, their throats are open graves, they deceive with their tongues, the poison of asps is under the lips. Or how about this one, John 8, 44, Jesus talking to the Pharisees, but this can be applied to any unbeliever, you are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. Because there is no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks out of his own character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Right? So unbelievers lie. Right? It's around us. Men and women lie apart from Jesus Christ. We, we don't teach our children, for those of you that have kids, to lie. Right? Just magically happens one day. And they lie to you for the first time. And, and you're like, oh, no, I thought I'd have more time. Right? They lie. They lie and they lie over and over. Men lie to women. Husbands lie to wives. Wives lie to husbands. People lie in their taxes. Adults lie to their bosses at work and their bosses lie to them. Businesses lie to customers to sell a product. We've come to expect lies. We have caricatures of liars, right? A used car salesman, lawyers, right? We, we, we laugh because they become synonymous with liars, Politicians lie, right? They lie to get elected, and then they lie in office, and they lie to stay in office. We come to expect lies. Well, that's why we have a contract for everything. 
Right? You realize you, you go into Bunnings and you, you, buy a, you buy a hammer and on your receipt it almost says, it says a little blurb at the bottom like we are not responsible for any misuse of this object. Or, you know, it's like a contract. It's a little blurb, a legal contract. You, you go to sign up for a phone plan and it's like a five-page contract. You go to buy a car and, well, you, know, you can ask James, that's, that's like a 30-page contract. Right? You buy a house and you might as well... Spend a weekend reading. Well, why do we have these contracts? We have these contracts because what people lie. And so you're 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 encapsulating like the, the idea that people were lying in a contract to try to what force compliance. Right? You're trying to make people do what they say, right? Or do what they've promised. These contracts are everywhere. Well, in James's day, the, the issue for James, because they didn't have the same emphasis on written contracts, the Old Testament, especially in the Old Testament, they developed the oath, right? And you'll see this, and we'll talk about this more in a little bit, but you'll see these oaths over and over in the Old Testament. It was a way to, uh, to, to formalize an agreement between two people without writing everything down because they didn't have paper like we had paper. Right? So it was, it was more of an informal system. But what had happened in Jesus' day, and Jesus speaks about this in Matthew 5, is the Jews had taken it to the extreme. They had taken oath-taking, oath if, you, if you will, to the extreme in that they would do two different things. One is they would swear over everything. Right? I, I'm going to go to your house for dinner. I swear I'm going to do it. Right? It'd be over trivial, frivolous things. They would swear over everything. Uh, I swear on the temple that I, I'm coming to your house and I'm bringing that, that, that car I promised you. Right? And they would just add it to every aspect of their conversation. It was, it was frivolous use of oaths. And then the other thing they did is, is they would swear on things other than the Lord because they knew they could weasel out of those contracts. They weasel out of that oath. Because even the Jewish teachings, the Mishnah, which the Mishnah is the oral teachings, right? they've taken these oral teachings, they've written them down, and it's called the Mishnah. And it's basically the, the group, of, a group of leaders, a group of rabbis have written commentaries on the Bible, and, and they've kind of codified and written instruction. Right? That's the Mishnah. And so what the Mishnah said is that if you, if you didn't swear by God or one of His names, then that oath was not binding. So I entered in a contract with, with Ryan over here for mowing his lawn, and I didn't do it. I, and, but, but when we entered a contract, I said, look, I swear by the gold in the temple. I mean, it sounds pretty good, right? The gold in the temple, right? It's pretty, pretty weighty. You can't swear by much more. I swear by the gold in the temple, I'm going to cut your grass, right? And then I don't do it. And he goes, why didn't you do it? And I said, well, you know, it rained a lot, and I was tired. And, and honestly, you know, I, I didn't really swear by God, so... Yeah, I'm sorry. You know, I, I'll do it maybe. So you know, they, they use they use the, the those underhanded methods to get out of the, the agreements that they made. So the real issue, as we'll see, isn't necessarily or isn't the swearing by itself. It's the underlying heart issue behind it. Because whether or not we all still swear like the Jews, we still have the same issue heart issues behind it. So we're going to be looking at really three points this morning. We're looking at James's command to don't swear. 
We're going to be looking at his, his instruction to speak truth and then his warning that God is watching. So don't swear, speak truth, and God's watching. Pretty simple. So let's go ahead and look at the text and then we'll dig in. One verse this morning, chapter 5, verse 12. But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or any other oath, but yet your yes be your yes and your no, no, so that you may not fall under judgment. Right? One verse this morning. So James begins and he says, above all. Right? He, it's, a, it's a transitionary word there. He lets us know that, that he's kind of transitioning to his conclusion like in a, in a letter, you would say in conclusion or finally or, or most of all, I want to emphasize. Well, he, he's emphasizing these aspects of personal behavior at the end of this letter. And he wants his readers to know and you that he's transitioning. Okay? So it's just a simple above all. Well, what he says is, is first of all, he says, don't swear. But of all, above all, my brethren, do not swear. So I mean, first of all, I've got to identify or understand what swearing is. Right? Where I'm from, when we say swearing, we mean cursing, right? profanity. That's not what James is talking about. Now, it is wrong to swear using profanity. Don't get me wrong. Ephesians 4.29, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word that is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. It's interesting with profanity in different cultures because sometimes we, we use profanity and we take the Lord's name in vain and a lot of times we don't even realize it in the sense. Now, now I'm going to be preaching on profanity and swearing, but I do want to add in that the different cultures use different words. Where I'm from, we, we have a tendency in the south, southern United States to, to sweeten it up. Golly, gee, darn. Those are, those are just the same words. Right? We're really saying Jesus and damn. We're saying all the words that, that Aussies say, right? I'm just, y'all are all laughing at me. Well, one thing when I moved here is I found that Aussies use profanity a little more freely in language. <laughs> that was something, in fact, um, when in seminary, we, we had some Aussies come to seminary and, and uh, they're, they're using profanity a little more freely than we do in the United States. And so we had to kind of pull them aside and go, well, brother, you, you know when you say that, you know when you say damn, it's really saying god damn you know you really it's, it's not really a you know just a, a free word that you can say in any conversation and so we had to kind of get them to pull the heads in a little bit in that area but um but james isn't talking about profanity now we we should we should speak in a way that's wholesome right we speak in a way that that edifies i have a friend of mine growing up I talked to her years ago and she said she was a uh well let me translate she's a year four elementary school teacher and so she would teach her kids, if they would use profanity in class, she would say that she would call them adjective deficient, right? She would write, and she had a little section on the board of those people who are adjective deficient. In other words, they, hadn't, they can't communicate without using profanity. And she would make them go home and research and come back with a list of adjectives that they could have used instead of the profanity. <laughs> so we, we need to have that emphasis in our minds. We need to understand that we should have wholesome speech. Well, James is not talking about swearing, right? He's not talking about swearing in the sense of profanity. What he's talking about is taking an oath. It's invoking God's name to guarantee the reliability of what is said, right? It's, it's affirming the truth of a statement by, what, latching on to something else, right? It, it, it implies, and implied in that oath is sanctions 
if you don't follow through. So when you swear on a stack of Bibles, to use that term from my childhood, you're implying that if you don't follow through, there's going to be consequences. And the consequences are, what? God's going to judge you, right? And that was the whole point of taking the oath. And oaths were common in the Old Testament because the Old Testament didn't prohibit oaths. Leviticus 19.12, You must not swear falsely by my name, so as to profane the name of the Lord your God, I am the Lord. The issue wasn't oaths in the Old Testament. It was profaning God's name by breaking your oath. Right? Because, they, like I said, they didn't have written contracts. So if, something, if you were exchanging a piece of property, you would go to the priest, you would go to the, the, the elders and the council in the, the city uh, gates, and you would say, hey, I'm exchanging this property, or I'm selling this property, and God is, you and God are my witness that this is above board and that we're exchanging this property. So later on, his, the, the guy's descendants couldn't say, no, 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 we really didn't sell that. Well, see, the oath was binding. You had witnesses, and you were also calling on God to be a witness when you get married, right? People don't think of marriage as an oath. It's what it is. It's a, it's a covenantal oath, right? You're, we're, we get married, like Beth and I, we got married in a church, right? Because we wanted it to be a worship service, and we entered into the covenant before the Lord, and we had witnesses there, and what was our covenant? What, to, to love and honor each other, to love no one else, and God, we were calling God to be our witness. It was a covenant oath, right? So we make oaths, and, and oaths on themselves isn't the issue. The earliest recorded oath, by the way, in Scripture is Genesis chapter 21, Abraham and Abimelech over the well. They had an argument. For those of you that remember in Joshua, remember Rahab, what, she, she binded the spies to an oath, saying that they would promise to protect her and her family if she helped them and let them go, right? So, so there's nothing in the sense wrong with oaths. Those oaths were to guarantee the truthfulness of what was said. In fact, you see this in Exodus 22 in the case of lost animals. You, you lose an animal and you, you go to your neighbor and you, you swear to, to before the Lord that, hey, I haven't stolen that, name, that, that animal. And even in the case of infidelity, if a husband thinks his wife's been cheating on him, she can say no and she can go to the priest's and she can say, look, I want to swear, take an oath before the Lord that I have been faithful. And obviously the implication is if she's not, then God's going to judge her. So women had a protection built in in that way in the Old Testament to keep from them being frivolous divorces. So when you think about oaths, God uses oaths. In Hebrews, multiple places in Hebrews 3, Hebrews 3.18, Hebrews 7, the author of Hebrews references oaths that God has taken. God swears by himself that he will do what he wants or do what his will is, that he will accomplish his purposes. So when you think about oaths, I want you to understand, because people have taken this to the extreme. The Amish, the United States, the Quakers, the Anabaptists, um, they will say, well, I, I can't take any oaths. So in the United States, I'm not sure in Australia yet, because I haven't looked this up, but in the United States, when you go to court, you have to swear you have to take an oath that you're telling the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help me God, right? You take an oath. When you go into the military, they make you swear an oath. Make you swear an oath to, to follow the president, to, to obey the Constitution, to uphold the Constitution of the United States. 
right? I'm sure they do something similar if you join the military in Australia. It's a common military thing. I remember as a kid, I learned the Pledge of Allegiance in the United States. As a kid, we used to say, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America, to one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Wow, I just remembered it. That's been a while. There you go. Yeah. See, Norrin's over there shaking her head. She's like, I can't believe you do that. So, <laughs> so we, we've taken oaths. So oaths in themselves aren't bad. If you're called to a witness stand, don't say, well, James, James 5.12 says I can't take an oath. What James is, is talking about here is the Jewish practice of frivolous, indiscriminate oaths or deceptive oaths. As I said earlier, those indiscriminate oaths, that they would, they would say oaths to give weight to everything they said. They, they, would, they would honestly, they were, they were devaluing their own words. They were, they were making rash vows to do things. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm swearing that I'm going to come over to Kenny's house. I swear on, a, 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 I swear on the, the, the roof of the house. I mean, it was like frivolous, weird, like just random things. Because if they didn't go, didn't do what they said they were going to do then what, what's going to hold them accountable? Oh, well, you know what? I didn't say it by, I didn't swear by the Lord of Sabaoth, so I'm not really bound. So they were, they were just frivolous. I used to work, when I used to work for um, a vendor, a route sales, excuse me, vendor, we, we used to deliver things and products to people, and there was a guy that was on my route that he would swear on everything. It, it was the perfect picture of this example in, in James chapter 5 because he would, he, would, he would always seem to exaggerate and he would always swear. He would tell us a story and he goes, I swear I'm telling the truth. Because, you know, he's one of those guys that his stories just seem so far-fetched, right? You know those people, right? Or, or those stories, the guys telling you the stories and, and they always make him the hero, right? You know those guys, those people that they're always the hero of their stories and you're like, Really, did it happen just like that, brother? Oh, yeah, 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 I did. I rescued that dolphin. You know, <laughs> it's always something, something absurd. And you, you have reason to doubt. And, and you think about it, the reason he would swear is because we doubted his truthfulness. Very simple. And that's what James is talking about. You, you swear so much because you have to. Because people doubt you're telling the truth, even over little things. And there's also deceptive oaths. As I mentioned earlier, the Mishnah said that oaths done in the name of Sabaoth or Shaddai or other names of God are binding. But oaths by heaven and earth are okay. Right? Because God, you know, heaven created, earth created, they're, they're not God. They're okay. To, it's okay to break those oaths. And it became such a problem that Jesus actually spoke out against it. Let's turn over to Matthew 5, just so you guys can see that I'm not making this up. Matthew chapter 5, verse 34. Matthew 5, 34. <clears throat> Let's do 33. I don't want to take it in mid-statement. Matthew 5, 33. Again, you have heard that the ancients were told. Now, when Jesus says that, he's talking about the oral tradition, right? And, may, and you have heard that the ancients were told. And he said, you shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your vow to the Lord. So he's talking about the, the, the tradition and he's talking about the scripture. But he says, but I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven, where it is the throne of God, or the earth, where it is the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you make an oath by the back, by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your yes be your yes, or no, no. Anything beyond these is of evil. 
And so Jesus and James pretty much quotes this almost verbatim. And you see what Jesus is saying. They would swear by heaven. They would swear by earth. They would swear by Jerusalem. They would swear by their own head, right? And they would do this as a a way to to be deceptive in their speech. While you're in Matthew, flip over to Matthew 23, just a few pages for most of you. Matthew 23, 16. Matthew 23, 16. So Jesus addresses this, this deception, this untruthfulness twice. Matthew 23, verse 16. Woe to you blind guides who say, whoever swears by the temple, that is nothing. But whoever swears by the gold of the temple is obligated. You fools and blind men, which is more important, the gold or the temple that sanctified the gold? Whoever swears by the altar, that is nothing. But whoever swears by the offering, he is obligated. You blind men, which is more important, the offering or the altar that sanctifies the offering? Therefore, whoever swears by the altar swears by both the altar and everything on it. Whoever swears by the temple swears by both the temple and by what? Him who dwells within it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by both the throne of God and him who sits upon it. So Jesus' point is if you're going to swear, if you're bringing in any kind of oaths, you're bringing God into it. Now, you can't just say, well, I'm going to swear by the altar, but it's okay to, to, to break that oath. As long as I don't swear by the what? The sacrifice on the altar. He said it's all the same because God is everywhere. It's His heaven. It's His earth. And if you swear by anything, if you take an oath, you need to keep it. I don't know if you guys had this in Australia, but when I was a kid, we used to do that. Cross your fingers or cross my fingers. Put, put, put my hand behind my back. You know, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll give you my brand new toy if you give me yours. And, oh, I have my fingers crossed. I don't know if you remember that. It was something we used to do when you were kids. Right, it's, it's the same thing. It's a frivolous oath. I promise to do something, but mm, I'm leaving myself an easy way out. You see, oaths are indiscriminate or frivolous. If, you, if you're making these oaths, you're making these frivolous oaths, first of all. You're making those kind of oaths where you have to swear on everything to get people to believe you. Then it shows that you have an integrity problem. It shows that people have trouble believing you. So if you have to swear, you have an integrity problem. And honestly, if you're swearing on things so that you can get out of it, it demonstrates that you have an integrity problem, right? Because you, your, your idea or your contracts that you made don't mean anything, right? You're all about what benefits yourself. You see, we need to be truthful. We need to have integrity. And James actually gives those same examples. He says, look, don't swear by what? Heaven or earth or any other oath. The heaven, you, they would swear on the sky or they say, oh, you know, swear by the heavens. Like God wasn't in the heavens. Because by the way, the, the Jews looked at three heavens. They said there's, there's three heavens. Paul says, I was taking up the third heaven in Corinthians. The Jews would say the sky is the first heaven, space is the second heaven, and the third heaven is where God's throne is. So if you ever run across that, you'll at least you'll know what the Jews are talking about or you'll, you'll know what people are talking about. They're just a way to describe the different atmospheres. And so they would say, well, I'm swearing by the first heaven or I'm swearing by the second heaven. Well, they wouldn't swear by the third heaven because that's where God's throne is. But you see, it's just a way for them to get out of it. By the way, that's why David said the heavens, plural, declare the glory of God. Right? Sky, space, 
ultimately even God's throne. They all declare God's glory. And so these were oath takers. This oath taking was a terrible, sinful practice, and they would they would say the same thing: things on the earth. And, and even James wants to make sure he says, "Don't say any other oath." So they developed this elaborate system. But what you need to know is that the oaths themselves is not the issue per se, right? There are times when you have to go into contracts, right? Summerton's getting ready to, to get a, sign a contract on a house soon. There's nothing wrong with contracts. Those are, those are oaths, right? You buy a car. <laughs> you, you get a new phone, right? There's all contracts that we have to enter into. Nothing wrong with those oaths. The issue is you need to follow through with what you say you're going to do. The issue is truthfulness, personal integrity. Right? He's talking about addressing these oaths, these frivolous oaths, these deceptive oaths that were so prevalent in the culture around him. And if you're swearing to back up your words, you're losing the battle for personal integrity. Your life should be one of truthfulness. You shouldn't have to say as I said as a kid, cross my heart and hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. Every time you make a promise. You ever heard that one? That's a good American one, right? Cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. That's what you say as kids. So, speaking truth, brethren, is your duty as a Christian. Right? Your responsibility. Your speech should be different than those around you. Your actions should be different from a world full of lies and deception. And James actually draws out that contrast and he says, look, he says, not only should you not swear, but you should, what? Speak truth. Verse 12, he says, but let your yes or your yes, yes, and your no, no. He draws this contrast. There's a big word, but there. He's drawing, instead of swearing frivolously or deceitfully, there should be a difference between you and the world. You, as a believer who believes in the truth, who follows the truth, your life should be one lived out in truth. Colossians 3.9, do not lie to one another. What reason? Since you have laid aside the old self and its evil practices, your life should be different. The world should should. Wonder why it is that you are following through your promises and you're following through your agreements even if it costs you something. And that's the key. We should have integrity. And James has been promoting this idea of wholeness, as I said before. In James chapter 1, verse 8, he, he, weak faith makes for an unstable and inconsistent life. He calls that person the, the divided person or the, uh, the divided mind. Uses the same term again. We should, we should have an undivided mind in James 4a. If we have worldliness in our lives, then that worldliness is inconsistent with a life of faith. James wants us to live out the truth right, in our lives. He wants us to be truthful. And so we should have consistent character. And that's the whole thing. When James says, let your yes be your yes and your no be your no, you shouldn't need anything else. Somebody asks you something, you should be able to say yes or no without having to go, I swear. Because if you have to say, I swear, then you know deep down in your heart, if you're willing to admit it, that you have an integrity, you have a truth problem. 
Because if you have to say, I swear, then you know that they're doubting your truthfulness. It's sad, we used to have gentlemen's agreements where you could go up to somebody and say, hey, let's do this. Neighbors could say, you know what, we'll go in 50-50 on this fence. Shake hands, boom, it's done. And you could trust your neighbor's words. I remember my dad, even, even as a young, uh, a young child, getting into agreements with his neighbors. Hey, we're going to, you know, this fence shares a property or this tree. This tree kind of goes, on, it's kind of half and half of our property. I remember him getting into a gentleman's agreement with his neighbors, saying, hey, you know what, let's go 50-50, get rid of this tree. It's, it's messing up our fences. You know, it's in a bad spot. It's not good for our kids. You know, it, this bug infested, whatever. Let, let's get rid of this thing, and they'd shake hands. I remember that very, very fondly. That's one thing interesting. When I moved to Australia, I found that there's Target here. Target in Australia. You guys, you guys are like, yeah, okay, whatever, Target. But, you know, in the United States, there's the exact same Target. Even the, even the bullet, the little bullet symbol, everything, it's red, it looks the same. I'm thinking, oh, wow, Target's expanded to Australia. But they're totally separate companies. One's an Australian-owned company, one's an American-owned company. They have the same, it's the same advertising, the same look of the store. Everything's the same, but they are not related at all. There's no connection. And so I, I had to do research because that was interesting to me. And I found out that back in the 60s, the owner of the Target in the United States and the owner of the Target in, the, in Australia, they met and they had a gentleman's agreement where Target USA would never come to Australia and Australia and Target would never go to the United States. And part of that gentleman's agreement, there would be no lawsuits, no fighting, and they could basically use the same designs and they were basically okay with it. It's just interesting when you think about letting your yes be your yes and your no be your no. Right? We should live lives that show that we are truthful. Right? Let your no be your no. By the way, you have to learn to say no to things. Right? If, you don't, can't, if you can't say no, that shows a fear of man, a fear of what people think about you. You should be willing to say no sometimes. You want to be consistent. If you're going to say no, then mean it. Don't go back later and be wishy-washy. If you're going to say yes, then mean it. Follow through. Be consistent. It shows character. You know, if you ask the most, you ask most people, if I was to ask most of you, what's the most important thing in a relationship? Well, you can say honesty. You want honesty. That's why I've titled this sermon, Honesty is the Best Policy. Remember, my mother teaching me that as a young child. Honesty is always the best policy. So when you say yes and yes or no and no, mean what you say. Do what you've promised. Because you can destroy your credibility by not following through. And not only can you destroy your personal credibility, but you can destroy your credibility as a Christian. Right? We, we claim to follow the truth. Right? We claim to believe the truth. But yet if we're acting untruthfully, right? We're lying, we're lacking integrity and following through with our promises. Are we consistent with what we say we believe? The answer is no. And it destroys our credibility. How can you be effective witness with a bad testimony? 
If what you say is a witness against you, will people believe what you say about spiritual matters if they can't believe what you say about the weather, right? Or the car that you just bought or whatever. Proverbs 22.1, A good name is to be more desired than great wealth. Favor is better than silver or gold. It's about a good reputation. Proverbs 3, 3 and 4, do not, let, do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and men. So about a good reputation. It's the old statement that a, a good reputation is what? It's hard to establish and easy to lose. Let your yes be your yes and your no be your no. Follow through with your commitments. If you're going to meet someone at a certain time, be there on time. If you're going to, you say you're going to call somebody back on the phone, call them back. Even if it's an inconvenience. Right? We do the right thing regardless if it costs us something. Right? Parents, you've got to model truthfulness to your kids. If you tell your child or child, children excuse me, that you're going to do something, then you need to do it. Even if it's an inconvenience, even if you're tired, they need to see you modeling truthfulness. They need to see you disciplining them when they're untruthful. And if you are untruthful or you can't follow through with your promises, you need to confess that to them. Don't be so prideful that they don't see that mom and dad make mistakes, that mom and dad sin. Follow through with your promises. One of the things my kids know about us, and we've been teaching them this, is that I'm going to do what I say I'm going to do, right? I'm going to follow through. If I say, hey, Arden, I can't look at that book right now. I'm busy doing some study for, for church, for sermon. I'll come back. I tell you what, I'll look at it this afternoon. I make sure, even if I have to write it down, that I need to go back later on and look at that book with him because I want him to count on me. Right? Understand truthfulness because we are a picture to God, of God, to our children. We're describing God's character and we say, well, we're Christians. And we talk about God following through with His promises. We should be the ones demonstrating that to others, especially our kids. And that goes for discipline too. I tell my kids, look, if you lie, there's going to be discipline. If you do this, there's going to be discipline. And they get discipline for it. And I say, look, what did you do? You, oh, I lied, Dada. What's the consequences? Well, these are the consequences. Well, you know, I told you I was going to do this, and I've got to do it. Can't let you dishonor the Lord and dishonor your parents. You, you, there's discipline. So I follow through with my commitments. You need to be the same way, consistent. Do we, now, are we going to be inconsistent at times? Yes, right? That's why we need God's grace. Just like our children need God's grace, we need God's grace, right? And we need to be willing to confess our inadequacy to God and our inconsistency to God and our inconsistency at times with our kids, right? See, God's called us to be consistent in our character. We need to model truthfulness to, to everyone we're around. God keeps His promises, so should you. You shouldn't have to make people, you have to swear to make people believe you. And just remember, James says, look, final thing, he says, so that you will not fall under judgment, God's listening, right? God's watching. This is our motivation. A life of worldliness is what we have if you have constant swearing in your life. 
Right? Because if you're, if you're living a life of worldliness, then you're untruthful with others and you're breaking your commitments and you, you feel like you have to back up what you say with swearing or oaths. It's an admission, really. If you have to say, I swear on a stack of Bibles or I swear on this, then, then, then really you're, it's an admission that you've not been truthful. Matthew 12, 36, Jesus says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. Wow. How humbling is that to know that, that God's going to be able to play back every word that you've ever said on that heavenly Blu-ray player, right? In, in 8K HD, Right? There'll be no way you can say, well, I didn't really say it that way, Lord. Yep, here it is. Let's look, let's look at it. Let's watch it. Let's listen. Your word should be good. They always say, my word is my bond. That should be what it is for you. Now, you think about it. What are some ways that, what are some reasons or ways that you see people be careless with their words? Or, or why should people need to swear? Well, the questions I would ask you, and I'd ask you like this. People swear because they're not dependable. So are you dependable? When people look at you, do they say, oh, that's a trustworthy person? Is that the first thing they, they think about when they hear your name or when they're thinking and talking of you? They're trustworthy. They're, they're dependable. Do you keep your promises? Do you do what you say you're going to do, even if it costs you something? Do you excuse little white lies? Oh, well, you know, they don't really hurt anybody. But as we know, little white lies lead to bigger lies, right? Speak and tell the truth. Do you cheat? You know, the biggest problems in unis right now, I know it's been like this for years, but even more so in our electronic age. My brother tells me this because he's, a, he's a, a professor, is cheating, is plagiarism. You see this. They've actually developed uh, and. These would be guys like, like Ryan and get paid big bucks to, to write code for these programs. They develop these programs where you can submit a scan of paper and it will literally go through anything written that's online and search for words and phrases and, and paragraphs to see if it matches anything that's ever been written. Plagiarism. And it happens, it happens even on the Christian level. I know a guy in, in uh, Bible college, he got an F in a class because the teacher, when, when he looked at what he had written, he had copied great sections out of this particular book, but he didn't know that the teacher's mentor was the author of this book. And so the teacher basically had most of that book memorized. It even happens to... Even happens to um, pastors and heavens to to authors i ran across a commentary recently i, I found plagiarism i had to email the email the author like hey was this you know i give them a benefit of the doubt was this intentional and you have a paragraph that's word for word See, we need to be truthful it's hard it, it takes time and effort especially when you're writing to double check all your work have people look after it to 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 even down Costs money to download those programs to make sure you're not plagiarizing, right? You're not cheating. 
Do you, another way is, uh, do you exaggerate in your speech to make yourself look better? Are you the hero of all your stories? Right? Now, you know, our memories are naturally selfish, so we're naturally going to be the hero of our own stories. But do you exaggerate it? Right? Do you have those fish stories? Right? Alvin tells me he caught this, you know, one meter size striped bass. And I'm going to be like, well, you know, did you, was it really a meter? In his case, I actually would probably believe it. He's a good fisherman, from what I've heard. So, are you forthright? This is the thing. Are you forthright? Do you tell the whole truth? Now, there are things that are private. I'm not saying you have to vomit out all your information like people do on Instagram and Facebook. and You don't have to give everything. But are you forthright? Right? When you're telling somebody something, are you giving them the information that's appropriate? Or are you holding something back that's going to color their perception of an event or person? Right? One of the examples I, I, um, I remember, um, I used, used to run a restaurant. When I was in seminary, most of you guys knew that. And we hired this girl, and she, she uh, claimed to be a Christian, and she went to a, a, a uni that was a Christian uni, if you want to call it that way. And when we hired her, one of our, our busiest time of the year, we were a restaurant located right beside of a mall. So the busiest time of year is Christmas, just the month of December. And the way the unis work in the States, at least that particular uni, is the kids got out of school around December 10th. And they didn't go back to school until like the second week of January. So it was a good break. So when I hired her, it was in the summertime, I said, look, I, I don't really need anybody else, but she had really good qualifications, she seemed like a really good person. And I said, I don't really need anybody else, but I'll hire you, and I'll train you, and you'll work in the summer, we'll work you through the semester. But what I really need is a commitment from you that you're going to work in December. Because what happens for a lot of our college students is they're on campus, and then they, when, when, when they get out of on their break, they all go home, right? They're, they're not all from the area that the university is in. So, you know, they might be, you know, might be in UniSA, but they live, their home is Queensland. So when, when the school's out, they go back. So it's kind of the same thing. So I lose, you know, a third of my workforce. So one of the things, she, was, she lived locally, and I knew that. And I said, I'll hire you on the commitment that you make that you'll be around in Christmas. Well, she came to me once December got here, and she came and she said, hey, I'd like to put in my vacation request. And I said, okay. And she said, I need three weeks off in December. And I said, well, do you remember the commitment you made when I hired you? Do you remember you promised to work? She said, yeah, but my family wants me to spend time with them. They haven't seen me hardly any of the semester, and they, they really want me to spend time. And I said, well, I can understand that. I love my family too. But you need to be a person, a woman of integrity, and you need to follow through with your commitment. And I said, so no, you can't have off. Sorry. She came back about three days later, and she gave me her resignation notice. She quit. She said, oh, my parents want me to quit. And so I sat her down. I grabbed one of my assistants, who's a female, and we sat down and I said, look, you know, obviously you're going to quit. I'm not, I'm not going to talk you out of it. But you need to know that you've shown a, a drastic lack of personal integrity. Like God, you, you may get a good grade in school and you may enjoy your time with your family. From a personal integrity standpoint, you're failing. And I was really blunt with her. And I just said, I said, I'm surprised. I, I, I'm really... I'm really kind of surprised in you because uh, what I saw, I, I saw a lot of what I thought was maturity in Christ, but from a personal integrity standpoint, this is, this is terrible. And what, kind of, what kind of reputation are you going to have to the fellow workers who when they find out you've quit and they know the commitment that you made? She just kind of, she was sitting there quietly and she said, well, you know, my, my parents are, want me to quit. And I said, don't use your parents as an excuse. 
You know, you're 20 years old, you can make your own decisions. You see, we, we need to have consistency and integrity. Right? We promised to do something, and you know what? The right thing to do for her was to tell her parents, Mom and Dad, I made a commitment, I'm sorry, I know you want to spend time with me, but I'm going to, I'm going to commit to follow through, I'm going, to, me, I'm going to follow through on my commitment, and then maybe after December I'll quit, and we'll have, you know, we'll have a, a week or two before I go back to school. Right? Or, or ask for time off after the holidays when, when, when all restaurants slow down in January after, after the holidays. I would have given her time off for sure. You see, James says that let your yes be your ness and your no be your no so that you will not fall under judgment. Because God is watching. Right? The motivation for not swearing is that God hears everything you say. Jane, uh, John says in 1 John 2.21, I write to you because you do not know truth, but because you do know it, because no lie is of the truth. And then John 17.17, 17, Jesus says, Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. John 8.31.32, If you continue in my word, then you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Brethren, you have been born again. Been born again through the word of truth. James says that in 118. So this judgment, as we sum this up, this judgment that James is talking about, he's not talking about you losing your salvation. And if you guys remember when we, when we spoke in verse 9 about the judge is standing at the door, he's talking about accountability. Now, one thing I need to say, though, if you live a life of habitual untruth, a life of lying, then you really need to examine yourself to see if you're truly in the faith. Right? If you live a life of lies, then it's evidence that maybe you aren't truly a believer. And there is judgment waiting for you. Revelation 21.8 But for the cowardly and unbelieving and detestable murderers, sexually immoral and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur. This is the second death. So habitual life of untruth is evidence of unbelief. But know, brethren, that, that there, the judgment that awaits us is twofold. If it's judgment in this life where you continue lying and you're a believer and there's, there's instances in your life where you're not telling the truth, then know that, that God bring, will bring discipline. Right? Because as, as adults, you, know, you realize we need parenting just like we parent our kids. We need parenting from our Father. And there are times when we think we can lie and get away with it. Well, there's discipline that, that awaits us. We know it hurts for the moment, but the result is to our benefit and is lasting, just like we discipline our kids. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul is talking about the, the Lord's Supper. And the Corinthians, by the way, were getting drunk. They were getting drunk and coming to the Lord's Supper. And so Paul says, For he who eats and drinks... He eats and drinks judgment to himself. He does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick and a number sleep. It's God's discipline, weakness, sickness, even death in their case. You see, there's an accountability. We're disciplined by God as a father if we refuse to obey. But that accountability is also eternal. You guys remember from verse 9, we talked about the beam of judgment seat and how we'll all stand before the Lord and have our lives examined, our works done after salvation, 
to see if they honor the Lord. And there will be rewards meted out based on our faithfulness. Revelation twenty two twelve. Behold, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me to render to everyone according to what he has done. He's talking to believers. Right? Jesus is going to examine us. Now, there's no condemnation. I want to share you're clear with this. There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Romans 8, 1. You are, if you, God has called you and you are saved believer. You're saved from the penalty of your sin once and for all through the blood of Jesus Christ. Okay? But there will be accountability. We will stand before the beam of judgment seat in which there will be an examination. I love that James is not scared of bringing this out, right? You don't often hear this in sermons or in people's writings where they tell believers, hey, there's judgment for you, right? If, if the motivation for Christ and His love for you and His salvation is not enough, there will be an accountability. There will be judgment, so be ready. James reminds us that the judge is at the door and lies and falsehoods are inconsistent with who we're to be as Christians. Let us strive to speak truth. In condemning swearing, James is addressing the far greater issue, the far greater issue of truthfulness among believers, of, of personal integrity. Is he Christ is truth and he, and he expects his followers to love truth and to speak truth and to live a life of truth, to reject lies we shouldn't need to use frivolous oaths to, to back up what we're saying, and we definitely shouldn't be using oaths to cover deceits. We need to follow through with our commitments. Let our yes be our yes, and our no be our yo. Let your word be your bond, and remember that honesty is truly the best policy. Remember that, by the way, when it comes to honesty, and I feel like I have to say this, when it comes to being truthful, remember that we're to speak truth in love, right? Honesty or being honest doesn't mean that you get to uh, be brutal and unloving toward your fellow brothers and sisters. You shouldn't lie, right? If somebody's doing something that they shouldn't do, then there's a loving way to correct them, right? But we don't have to be brutal and unloving. We're to speak truth in love, Ephesians 4.15. It doesn't give you an excuse to be harsh. And I will say, if you've been untruthful and inconsistent in your life, then what should you do? What should be your response? Like any other sin, confession. Right? You confess your sin to God. Confess, I've been inconsistent. I've been untruthful at times. My integrity is waned at certain times. Confess that. Ask His forgiveness. Right? 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He's what? He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 7 says that the blood of Jesus Christ continually cleanses us from sin. Right? We pray for, we pray for, uh, we ask for forgiveness. We, we, we ask forgiveness from God. We also go to those who we sinned against. If you've told a lie to someone, no matter how long ago it was, you need to be right. I don't know what those lies are. Holy Spirit, Bringing stuff to your mind, probably even now. You need to be right with that person. Confess your sin to that person. Ask their forgiveness. Be an example of truthfulness, of consistency, of integrity. And then repent. Right? Repentance means turn away, walk in the complete opposite direction. 
Commit yourself to the Lord. Ask Him for His daily grace to help you live a life of truthfulness, of integrity. Brethren, let let us remember as a church not to swear. Let our yes be our yes and our no be our no. Help us all to be truthful and live lives of integrity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, what a challenge it is in our lives to be consistent, to be truthful. We know that you hate lies. We know that Satan is the the father of lies and that his children lie. But you've called us out of darkness into the, the light, into your glorious presence, and you've called us to live out the truth, to speak truth, to not lie to one another to be men and women of integrity. And as we claim the name Christ, as we are Christians, help us to emulate Christ. Lord, we thank you again for your word. Thank you for your grace and that you help us. You don't leave us alone. Pray that you would be honored in our lives. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.